Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two. Well, welcome to Kidney Talk, everyone. Today we're going to be talking a little bit about Facebook, social media interaction of uh, with our peers through different platforms. And today I'm really proud because I'm interviewing Barbara Riddle, and she uh, ha- has founded the Facebook group Dialysis Discussion Uncensored. And we're going to learn a little bit about you know why she started the group, and I know she has a strong family connection and and what she's learned from running this incredible organizational board. Uh, welcome to the show, Barbara. Well, thank you. It's, I appreciate the opportunity, but I must say that I was—I cannot take credit for be, being the founder. Uh, my son, Brian, was the founder, and so I'm carrying uh, on his legacy with uh, very large shoes to fill. So tell us a little bit about your son and your journey with him with kidney disease. Yes, it it was nearly a 40-year journey. He almost made it. Uh, Brian was diagnosed at the age of 22 months with uh, nephropathic cystinosis. Cystinosis is a genetic recessive metabolic disorder of the part of the cell called the lysosomes. And that part of the cell is... uh, its, its duty is to degrade proteins, and the degraded proteins turn into cysteine, which is another protein, but the cysteine lacks a transport mechanism uh, to rid itself from the lysosomes. As a result, uh, the cysteine accumulates and crystallizes and destroys organs, and the first to be destroyed is the kidney. And this happens by the age of 10. Wow. Typically, the the child will present uh, at the age of 6 to 12 months with what's called the Fanconi syndrome. I don't know whether you're familiar with that or not. No, explain it. I'm not familiar with it. Okay. Well, Fanconi syndrome is uh, a tubular dysfunction of the kidneys. You know, you have the tubules and you have the nephrons. Well, this is the tubular uh, part of the kidney, and uh, what happens is the uh, tubules lose, uh, they are responsible for electrolyte and fluid balance, and uh, what happens is the dysfunction causes the loss of uh, pH, and you lose calcium and sodium and potassium, phosphate, magnesium, water, and it also... Uh, controls the activation of uh, vitamin D into calcitrol. So as a result of all this dysfunction, uh, it causes a renal acidosis, a feeding intolerance and poor linear growth, uh, poor weight gain, rickets, muscle wasting, uh, dehydration, and you lose the electrolytes through frequent urination. Brian was very sick and it didn't get recognized until he was 22 months old because no one actually was able to put the entire picture together. It's a rare disorder. And it uh, it was through the rickets uh, that it was ultimately diagnosed. 
Now, I have a quick question, Barbara. How many PhDs do you have? Well, I get asked that a lot, but you know what? <laughs> One thing is when your child is diagnosed at an early age, it gives you a lot of room to learn. <laughs> and we've, we've had so many uh, learning experiences with so many specialties that I'm looking forward to retirement. <laughs> well, I, I have to say that um, I've spoken to a lot of healthcare professionals in my time, and that was a very um, eloquent way of describing what happened and I would say that I give you an honorary PhD from Renal Support Network, okay? Well, thank you very much. <laughs> um, so, so Brian survived for many, many years with kidney disease. Can you tell us a little bit about his story and what led him to create this um, board, a dialysis discussion and censored that has over 11,000 members? Yes, well, you know, his prognosis was poor. Typically, these kids die by the time they're 10. Mm -hmm. But uh, renal transplantation and dialysis extended their life, but it didn't do anything to curb the uh, further destruction of the disease. And it wasn't until a, an experimental protocol uh, was uh, discovered by us through his nephrologist at NIH in Bethesda that he was placed on a drug called cysteamine which was shown to deplete uh, the cysteine content of the cells up to 80% in vitro, and the hope was it would work similarly in vivo. Well, for Brian, it was a little bit too late to start him out at the age of four, so by 11, he had his first transplant, which was lost to acute rejection in a matter of five months. And then he went on to receive number two from me and number three from his dad. And all of them were lost to rejection for whatever unknown reason there wow. is. Wow. They never worked? They worked. Mine worked the longest for four years. But as you know, uh, that's not long for a living-related donor, and no. it was well-matched. Right. Something else going on. Yeah. Uh, but it was what it was. But the kid never, never complained. And so he was... He was uh, very goal-oriented, and I think that's what ultimately led to uh, the, the uh, inception of his group because he was part of uh, the Next Stage Users group. I don't know if you're familiar with that or not. Yeah, I recall. It's, it's now called Home Dialysis United. Correct. Brian was the first vice president of that group and was part of the organization, the very first uh, Next Stage Users Conference out in uh, Las Vegas in 2010. Uh, so he was very active. He created the webpage because he went on to college and he graduated with a degree in information science. Wow. So he was very technically astute and very goal-oriented. Nothing stopped that man. He was uh, not only a dynamo within the dialysis realm, but in his personal life. He accomplished more in his almost 40 years than many people do in a whole lifetime. Uh, well, but at any rate, he became part of that group, and uh, it was highly successful. But after that conference, his health began to really take a turn south because he suffered from a rare complication from peritoneal dialysis. A... Uh, highly debilitating and uh, a, it was called encapsulating peritoneal sclerosis. 
I don't know whether you've heard of it or not, because it is rare. I've heard of sclerosis, but I don't know if I've heard the other two words with it, but it it sounds a, a lot of scarring and just not very much fun. Not very much fun, and it creates uh, a lot of uh, uh, frequent partial small bowel obstructions and uh, malnourishment and a whole host of other ugly things that go with them. Well, he suffered with that for nearly 11 years, and his health took a turn in 2012, and so he left the board of uh, Home Dialyzers United and he just needed to de-stress. And I guess one of the ways he did it was he woke up one morning and says, Mother, I'm forming a Facebook group, a dialysis Facebook group, and you're going to be an administrator. <laughs> and, and I said, Brian, are you crazy? <laughs> First of all, <laughs> I had no interest in Facebook. I had no knowledge of how active he was on it with various mm-hmm. other groups. And I'm not technically uh, the brightest uh, light in the technical field. But at any rate, I agreed reluctantly. And it was probably one of the best decisions that I made because what it did was allowed me to cope better with what was going on with Brian. Right. And I was, I was able to get a really good grip at what other patients really have to go through and how... Uh, pervasive renal disease, or really, for that matter, any kind of uh, health complication is for people uh, in terms of every aspect of their life. And so what I learned initially was that group took a lot of focus and time. It was like a full-time job. He insisted that it should be an open-to-the-public group because he wanted people to see what people on dialysis have to live through on a daily basis. Well, I, I, it's interesting because that's one of the questions is that this forum is open to the public. So if you search and you're on Facebook, it, you can basically go directly to the group and read what's going on. Um, has there been any uh, issues with patients being afraid to post because of that? Yes, we get that fairly frequently. But my response is that we expect the public to dono- donate kidneys, do we not? How else in the world are they going to have some conception of what people go through and the need to be a kidney donor if they don't learn something about it. Right. And also, why in the world would you go on any Facebook group, whether it was closed or open, and go into your most deeply personal issues anyway? But we also tell them, you know, you can create another profile, just let us know, or you can pose a question and one of the administrators will be glad to ask the question on your behalf. Now, you have 11,000 members, and one of the things, how do you, I mean, that's a big job. How do you um, manage, you know, conflicts? Uh, We used to have a board called Kidney Space, and we sometimes would have conflicts or people would bring political issues up or religious issues up, and, I mean, it became very daunting because the people who, 
have some of the things that you don't want them to say seem to have more time than the other people. <laughs> so how do you manage that, Barbara? Well, it is a, it is a problem. Now, we say in our guidelines, you know, please no politics unless it's relevant to the issue of dialysis or transplantation. And as far as religion, we will permit people to request prayers, but we ask that they do no do not do any direct witnessing. And and for the most part, that has been successful. Now you'll occasionally get people who will deviate from that request. But I have to say that I have three other moderators, and I have to give them a plug because they have been, I could not do it without them. Nancy Kephart has been with me from the nearly the beginning. She is a caregiver who just recently was widowed. And Jennifer Tana is a young woman in her 30s who has suffered from kidney disease most of her life, from childhood. So she can see things from the perspective of a patient. Mm-hmm. And then my right-hand lady, Debbie Chandler, uh, was a provider. She was a physical therapist, but she also has had some kidney issues, and her father is almost at the end stage himself now. I don't know what I would do without Debbie or any of the other ladies because uh, I can give Debbie more credit than myself for being an enforcer. (laughs) Kind of a good cop, bad cop. (laughs) That, That is to her credit. Right. You know, I and maybe it's because Brian would always tell me, "Mother, let them work it out. Let them work it out." Well, it's grown to be such a large group now that sometimes you do have to intervene. Yeah, because <laughs> and we you know, don't like to do it. Well, and it's you know sometimes people and you know not sometimes, uh, a lot of times people have kidney disease are angry and you got to make sure that that's not being um, directed at someone else or you know saying something horrible about somebody in the community and listing their name, um, uh, just because you're upset. <laughs> and, and that uh, has happened. <laughs> you know, I mean, I hate Doctor So and So, and you know, go on and and you know, then you have to worry about uh, other um, legal issues. <laughs> <laughs> if, uh, oh, yes, yeah. But so far, so good. <laughs> now, you don't allow any pictures of clinics um, on your board. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, Debbie has been in touch with the major clinics, and it's against their policy. Okay. So, um, yeah, they can get, I guess they can get in trouble with CMS or whoever. I think it's HIPAA. Pardon yeah, me? HIPAA, like Health Insurance Privacy Protection Act. You know, they're worried yeah. about taking a picture and having another patient in it Correct. that um, that could, you know, violate their right to privacy. Um, That's right. So uh, I know, well, people are adapting to that now. We don't get nearly as many complaints. We have it up in the uh, guidelines of the group, so uh, we don't have to delete as many as we used to. Selfies were another issue at one time. We, You know, in a group that... Uh, large, when you get so many selfies, it it uh, drowns out the real concerns and questions uh, that other folks want to uh, pose. And that, that brings me to another question. What is some of the most common questions you receive? Uh, dietary and fluid restrictions. I'm not understanding 
what the issue is there, and I'm not quite sure who to uh, put the blame on. When Brian was coming up, uh, from the pediatrics to adult, there was always a dietitian present, and we always went over his daily allowances of protein, fluids, phosphorus, everything. We were given examples and sample diets and handouts. Today, there are many apps that the people could go to, many sites that the people could go to, but no one seems to have a real, uh, well, some do, those who are totally engaged, but others don't seem to have a, a finger on what their daily allowance is. And I just find that unfathomable. And we put up reputable, we try to put up reputable links to show them the consequences, and I think largely they go unread, unfortunately. Well, you know, if I, if I knew I was going to live this long, I would have taken better care of myself. That's one of my favorite sayings. And, you know, a lot of times, um, unfortunately, I think social media has also provided an opportunity where we get this. It's like people want us to find their specific issue and give it spoon feed it to them not to say that they don't get the information but social media does allow you to ask a question like hi everyone what car should i buy who what would you recommend and before you know social media we had to do our own research and figure out what kind of car we were going to buy or go out and test drive a few and now um you know the the fact that facebook can allow you to get all of this feedback from many people i think sometimes allows us not to do our homework. Yes, and I think you got your finger right on it. Um, I can't imagine living that way, to be honest, because Brian would have been gone long before he did pass. So um, that and also the post-dialysis uh, symptoms many, of pe- many people experience, the low blood pressure, the cramping, the nausea, vomiting, fatigue, and uh, that sort of thing. That's those two subjects come up more often, I think, than any than in any other on the site. Well, and I we get those questions a lot too because I think you know when people are suffering or they don't feel good, they're more most more likely to pose as opposed to saying, "Hey, I had a wonderful day after dialysis, and I just wanted to let everybody know that you know." And uh, we're more apt to you know speak out when we we don't feel good about something. And uh, that's why it's so important for people to share their stories of hope because we can counterbalance that you can get through this. Um, knowledge is power. Learn all your treatment options. Um, and does that come up a lot? Because I think uh, when I when I look at your board and I participate when I can, that uh, that seems to be an issue that sometimes people don't understand, like, how the different treatment options work. And it's wonderful because people share their own perspective, which is great. You know, like this is what PD was for me. This is what home hemo was like for me. And it gives people a vast knowledge of, you know, how they perceive a treatment. Oh, absolutely. When we first started the group, I was utterly amazed at the fact that many people did not know that you could do home hemo. They were familiar with PD, but not with home hemo. And uh, you're right, uh, some, they're re- supposed to be told of all their dialysis options, and I think that many still aren't being, uh, being told. And uh, there's a lot of fear uh, behind the thought of doing home hemodialysis, and I think that drives a lot of people from it. 
But uh, yes, there are so many dialysis options, and we kind of push home options, whether it's PD or uh, home hemo, and we get a lot of flack about that. But you know, Lori, my son was on every option except nocturnal. He came pretty close because he was on extended daily. We did six days a week, 30 hours of dialysis a week. And he never suffered crashing blood pressure. He never had cramps. He never had the nausea or vomiting or a fatigue associated with standard in center thrice weekly. He popped up from the treatment and went about his daily business. And when you see somebody that could feel so good right. by by just choosing the appropriate uh, dialysis option, you want it for everyone. Well, and it's it's a little bit similar, and I like to share this experience because, um, and I was talking to my sound technician before the interview, and, and Ian was talking a little bit about how, you know, he started going to the gym, and it was really hard to get going to the gym, and it took him a while to get back to the gym to really feel the benefits. And we're all guilty of that, of not, you know, exercising, eating right, and if we start doing it, we feel better. And I, I like to, you know, make that analogy to dialysis because, it, because you know, it's not always easy to change. And, you know, we know what will make us feel better, but, you know, how do you act upon it? And that's one of the parts of, uh, of why, you know, 90% of people on dialysis are on in-center and, you know, I've met many of people at the support group I host monthly, and we tell them about home dialysis and or, you know, transplantation, of course. But they're like, you know, I just want somebody else to do my dialysis. That's what it comes down to. And it's it's if somebody else will do your laundry, um, it's not going to fit the same. Your clothes might shrink a little bit, but, hey, I don't have to do it. And I think, you know, it takes a certain mindset uh, to change that and um, to take on that responsibility yourself. And, of course, everything's going to fit better when it comes out of the dryer, and you're going to feel better. So, um, The United States just has an abysmal record. Uh, and it, at the initiation of dialysis all those years ago, uh, 40% of the patients did home dialysis. Well, and uh, I don't know if, you know, because I go back to the, the early 60s, my first... F- you know, bout with the dialysis machine was in 1968. And it was a different mindset because, um, you know, they were applying for Medicare and were so lucky to have Medicare uh, to pay for this um, treatment option. But it it's changed over the course of the years, just like all healthcare um, fields, that it's more of, you know, you, you, you do the treatment and like Medicare A... B and C and different like it's it's it works in different silos and our healthcare system is very discombobulated and when you yes, get into is. a chronic illness such as dialysis where you're going day in and day out for years you, you rapidly feel it and when people are in other states of healthcare where they may go in every 3 or 4 months you know they're not going to feel the fragmentation of our healthcare system as quickly as you do when you have kidney disease. And it's, um, it's so tough because uh, there's a lot of healthcare debates, and I, I, um, 
I suggest that everybody get educated on as all the different payment options and and policies and what drives healthcare and come from a place of knowledge and you know start to speak out what you think will be the best solution because I mean I'm really well educated on this subject and I don't have a a, a, a silver lining of you know exactly what needs to be done there's pros and cons of both sides and yeah, it is it's a difficult <laughs> subject I don't have the answers but I do know that uh, something has to be done to make it better for these people you should not have to go into financial ruin because you're sick well and that's that's a national debate and it's uh it's something that's really frightening. And I know um, on your dialysis discussion and censored board is um, one of the topics, you know, people share about finances. Um, does there ever get an opportunity where people give advice? Now, one of the, the things that I feel strongly about is that patients should only share their experience, strength and hope. And we got to frame all of our responses in a way that, you know, we don't give medical advice. Um, do you ever run into that problem like, oh, no, you should need you need to do this and you need to do that um, from somebody who's not actually a medical professional? Yes, uh, that comes up. I just had a post this morning. Um, we 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 say we are not substitutes for your medical team, but we what we do provide are our experiences and suggestions and we post uh, reputable links. Hey, copy this link. Take it to your doctor or take this suggestion to your medical team. If you really want to do home dialysis and your doctor said, no, it's not for you, here, give them this link. This might change, help uh, change your course. So we don't want to offer any, say, take this pill or do that. I shy away from that. I We tr sometimes have to delete some of those comments. I hope we catch most of them. Uh, but in a group that large, you're going to have things slip by. But no, we don't want to offer medical advice and say, do this or do that, or, you know, you're going to be fine. We get a lot of uh, uh, sometimes the natural naturopathic people will come in and mm -hmm. the vegans and all this sort of thing. And I don't know enough about that to say one way or another, but we're very cautious to watch those types of comments. And one of the things, too, that we experience, but, you know, you get people coming on the site wanting to, you know, oh, I can sell a kidney. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, That's so fast. <laughs> I know there always is. Uh, they're everywhere, aren't they? I mean, yep. it's um, you probably almost need a full time person sometime just to uh, rid rid the uh, your site of people trying to troll to sell people something or take advantage. I mean, you know, when you're desperate, sometimes you'll do anything, and and they uh, prey upon that. These um, trollers, I want to call them. <laughs> yes, unfortunately, most of the people are on to that. And luckily, you know, you got this big group of patients who probably tell you right away when they see something, hey, I don't like this person, and oh, yeah. uh, help, help police. No, we, we, we have uh, people who will message us immediately. And as I said, Debbie is a lot better than any of us in catching a lot of that. I kind of, there are days when I kind of shy away from it. I'm trying to get back into life with grandchildren and whatnot, not 
uh, now, so she she t- does a lion's share of the work most a lot of the time. Now, do you get any sponsors for your site? Because you know it is it's time consuming. It becomes a full time job. No, no, we just handle it ourselves. Wow. That's amazing. 11,000 members. And um, is there a topic that you would like to see um, discussed more? Yes, I'd like to. I would like uh, more clarity on their daily dietary and fluid regimens mm-hmm. and, and also home dialysis options. I would put that first, actually. Uh, more insight to these people so that they could see that they could live better lives. And I have to say that my son is a prime example of that. All of his achievements, his life goals were achieved when he did home dialysis options. Right. And how long um, did your son live till? He uh, was five weeks shy of 40. And and I was his caregiver. The last three years were very difficult. Well, and, you know, I, I can relate a little bit to his drive and personality because when you're diagnosed at a very young age like we both were with kidney disease and you're constantly surrounded by people who are like amazed that you make it to the next year you learn very very quickly that life is precious and you don't you don't have a lot of time so when you get an idea you just go and do it as quickly as you possibly can because the gift of the illness is you don't take time for granted. And I, I relate to that so much because people are like, well, wow, you have an idea, Lori. I'm like, yeah, I can't wait for two years to do an idea because I don't, I'm not, I, I have never been certain I would make it. And I had this epiphany. I mean, I'll be 52 this year. I'll be a full deck. I was born in Las Vegas. And when, you know, to live with this illness for 50 years, when I got married a little over 20 years ago, uh, my husband was, you know, we were talking about retirement plans. And, you know, I just put some money into my retirement plan this year for tax season. And when we were talking about that 20 years ago, I'm like, what do you mean? I'm not going to be around for retirement. I mean, it was just like this thought process that I had that had to be reworked that I can live a long life with this illness because I was just conditioned that, you know, you got to do everything quickly because, you know, you're on a ticking clock. <laughs> and um, that, that so reminds me of Brian because he had a retirement when he was employed and <laughs> when his statements would come in, he would pick them up and just toss them aside. He wouldn't even look at them. I'm, Brian, here's your retirement statement. He said, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, uh, just like you, he knew that he would never live that long. And it's, it's uh, you know, and now I'm, I'm like, well, hey, I just put the maximum amount in. I better dang well be around to spend it, or I should just <laughs> spend it now. I mean, because uh, it's just a, a very interesting mindset, and there's definitely pros and cons. Um, but obviously, um, you know, our circumstances make us who we are. Adversity introduces you to yourself, and there can be some real powerful results of overcoming something so traumatic and your son Brian was definitely a visionary and was so lucky to have a mom 
that stood by his side. I mean, you you should get a, I'm going to give you a, an honorary mother degree too on top of the PhD, okay? <laughs> because um, <laughs> it's just so wonderful that you've kept on his legacy and, you know, helping so many people share their story. And, you know, a lot of people just want to be heard. And, you know, that's what RSN does is, you know, we want to tell people's story, let them share their story and and feel like they, you know, can help and, and they do make a difference when somebody else reads their story or responds to it. It does make you feel good. And uh, that's that's the gift of helping others. Absolutely. And that's where they come. They need some they need a place to be able to get it all out uh with people that know exactly what they're talking about. They need that support because a lot of them are traveling the road alone. And it is. Uh, we really appreciate on behalf of, you know, people who are living with kidney disease, Barbara, thank you for carrying out this mission of your son. It's wonderful. And all the host of volunteers that you have, it takes a village. And uh, I look forward to meeting you someday. When you ever get out to Los Angeles, look me up. Well, I should because I could fly free now. My son's a pilot, but I have no interest in flying. So explain that one. I know. Well, you don't. You, you don't want what you have. You know. Um, <laughs> you probably want to go on a cruise, right? And say, forget the no, flight. No, no, I'll stay away from the water. I, I, you know, I'm happy visiting with my grandchildren. I'm between uh, both sons, and uh, so we we go to one one month and the other one to the next month and and then I travel back up to western Pennsylvania where I'm from and visit family. I'm satisfied with that. But who knows, I might get out there someday. That's wonderful. And I will look you up. All right. Well, thank you, Barbara, so much, and uh, I'll see you on Facebook. Very well. Thank you, Lori. Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.